this morning, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. I think everybody present, I gave you a handout. We've got, we're going to continue the lesson we had two weeks ago that we had begun <clears throat> on an introduction to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Hated to hear this week about um, Keith Daniels' passing. I know that was a good thing for him, but bad for the rest of us. And as I was praying this week, <clears throat> I my praying changed Friday night, and um, I'd been praying for his healing. And Friday night, I just really felt like I just needed to pray for God's purposes to be done with his servant. And whatever that was, and if it was in death, that God was going to be glorified, that the Lord would take him with the least pain possible. And anyway, as I was praying about that, um, I don't know, I just felt this peace. And um, anyway, saw a while ago an uh, email from his wife, and she said God accomplished his purposes through his servant. And um, I don't know, while it's a time that's so sad for all of us, we don't understand God's greatest purposes, and I know that his will is best, his way is best. Last time he was here, he gave me a lot of encouragement personally and um, really just charged me with some things. And I feel like if there's anything this morning that we think about in this lesson related to his life, he was a man who was spirit-filled, spirit-led, had the power of God on his personal life and on his preaching. And um, I think as we remember him that we need to um, pray for God to send more laborers into his harvest. We need more spirit-filled men of God and women of God um, that would follow in those footsteps as he followed Christ. But as we start this morning, let's look at John chapter 14, and we're going to begin with a quick review of the last lesson. We talked about an introduction to the Holy Spirit as Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples in the upper room at the end of the Lord's Supper. We had first his revealing. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was, he called him another comforter, the Spirit of truth the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. His residence, secondly, we talked about he would be given by the Father at the request of the Son. And when you read through the Gospels, I challenge you to some at some point, read through the Gospels looking for the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned in such little ways that it's real easy to miss. Jesus is constantly saying, I do nothing aside from the Father. But when you start really researching it, you find Jesus also did nothing outside of the Spirit. At his baptism, the Spirit descends on him. When Jesus stood in Nazareth that day and read from the scroll of Isaiah, he said, the Holy Spirit hath anointed me. And then he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes or ears. I don't know which way he said that. 
Um, but anyway, there was another time, if you read one of the Gospels, um, Jesus makes a comment about he was casting out demons by the power of God. You read in the other Gospel, and the other Gospel worded it, he was doing it by the finger of God. Um, actually, in one, he calls it the Spirit of God, and another, the finger of God. Um, so you realize, even the miracles Jesus was doing was by the work of the Holy Spirit. You get into the book of Acts, and you read the sermons of Peter and Paul, and you start finding these little hints about Jesus doing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was present, um, and you just really cannot separate the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, he would come to dwell permanently and his indwelling would be exclusively for believers. So this is the New Testament concepts. The Really, I would say all of this here in John 14 is the whole basics of understanding the Holy Spirit. And then his responsibility. We had just begun this part <clears throat> as we had to end class last time. We're going to look at a little bit of his responsibility this morning. And actually, this will be the launching place for um, our next couple of lessons together. But we talked about last time, John 14, beginning in verse number 10. Let's read that again. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words with, that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So we talked about the fact that it was the Father that was working through Jesus, this is, uh, this is so foundational for verse, understanding verse 12. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And as we've already discussed he was going to his father, and then his father would send the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why we could do greater works than Jesus. The only reason. There is no way that you or I in our flesh could do anything that even compared to Jesus. So the first part of that promise from Jesus, he said, they shall do the works that I do also. There is no way outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we could do anything comparable of equal value at all to anything Jesus ever did. I mean, we can study for a Sunday school lesson or a sermon in the flesh and get up and do it in our own strength, and no spiritual ministry, no spiritual growth actually take place as a result of that teaching. But when the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit gives us what is needed. The Holy Spirit feeds through the teacher, through the pastor. The Holy Spirit does a work. I couldn't lead one person to true salvation without the work of the Holy Spirit. It's him that convicts of sin. It's him that shows a person their need for Christ. It's him that shows a person that Jesus is the Savior. So it's, there's so much the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. Jesus had said, I believe it was John chapter 7, standing on the steps of the temple, he said um, that, that there would be rivers of living water flowing through us through his followers. Well, what was that river of living water? That was the Holy Spirit. He would be working in us, through us, and out of us. The Holy Spirit would be doing um, 
he was the one that would be doing the work. Just as Jesus recognized the Father was working through him, the Holy Spirit would be working through us. Powerful truth here. And if we understand this, um, it, it just adds so much power to ministry when we understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to look for a minute um, at the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, specifically in the New Testament church. But as we get into that, something I found this week in Herbert Lockyer's book, All About the Holy Spirit. I haven't compared this myself. I'm trusting him to be accurate. You can go check it yourself if you want to on the numbers here. But he says that in the Gospels, there are 56 passages that refer to the Holy Spirit. In the Acts of the Apostles, 57 passages. I think that's interesting. Four compared to one. What did I say last week? Or the last lesson. Historically, the Old Testament is the time of the Father. The Gospels, the time of the Savior. The time of the Son. The Acts and the Epistles and the church age that we live in today, the time of the Holy Spirit. So isn't it interesting that in the Gospels, in all four Gospels, pretty much equal to just the book of Acts. In Paul's epistles, 112 passages about the Holy Spirit. In other books of the New Testament, 36 passages. Philemon and 2nd and 3rd John are the only books with no direct references to the Holy Spirit. So he is highly present in the New Testament. Let's look at the book of Acts real quickly. You can turn along here. I, you have handouts there. If you didn't pick one up on your way in, you can get them off of the stand in the entryway there. I have a, a sheet here, a work of the Holy Spirit in the early church or a survey of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. <clears throat> this is something I went through um, the book of Acts in the last two weeks and made this outline here of the Holy Spirit's work. Now, I only put the times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned by name as the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. But there were other things that happened um, in the book of Acts. One of them I came to, and it it talked about Lydia and how God opened her heart. And I'm like, well, understanding John chapter 16, that was the Holy Spirit that opens a person's heart to understand their need for Christ. But it didn't mention the Holy Spirit, so I didn't put it down. Last night I was reading Herbert Lockyer, and he mentioned... um, There in Acts with Lydia, he said the Holy Spirit opened her heart. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, how do we know that? Again, John 16. Uh, But I only put here the things that specifically call the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost by name. Let's look through these real quickly. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, Jesus' commands to the apostles were through the Holy Ghost. Now, as, As I have this mentioned here, his background work, this is the preparatory work, and in Acts chapter 1, it lays out the things Jesus did, or the Holy Spirit, rather, did, um, laying groundwork for what would happen in the book of Acts. I even wrote in my notes here, this is their sermon material. What were they going to be preaching about? What were they going to be teaching about? Number one was Jesus' commands. And his commands were given through the Holy Ghost. Secondly, the apostles would witness through the power of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 
and verse 8. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. When would they be able to do this? After the Holy Ghost has come upon them. And then number three, they recognize the Holy Spirit as the author of the Old Testament scriptures. The only Bible that the apostles had was the Old Testament. And so here um, in verse number eight, sorry, not eight, in verse number 16, he says, men and brethren, this scripture must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. And so we see here and a few other times in the book of Acts that the apostles recognized that the Old Testament was given to the authority of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that for us, we ought to keep that in mind. The Old Testament is God's book. We need to be real careful about rejecting it just because it's Old Testament. We need to understand it in its rightful context. If we rightly divide the word of God, then we're going to understand that there are laws in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy that do not, are not commands that are given to us. They're not things that you and I as Gentile believers are supposed to live by. Jerry Benjamin has talked about before, they're not even things that modern Jews, some of them are supposed to live by. But there was a context, there was a reason, there was a purpose. And if anything, we should take the principles that were there. I've been amazed lately reading through the law again, how many principles we can find in the law of God that apply to us as New Testament Christians. It is the word of God and we should give it the respect that it deserves. And the New Testament church certainly did. We get to chapter two and we begin seeing his work. Um, <clears throat> the Spirit, number four, descended and filled those that were gathered as they were gathered and praying and waiting as Jesus had told them. Number five, the Spirit gave them the ability to speak in tongues. Now, this is where people get real uncomfortable, and a lot of us Baptists try to avoid um, just because of the way some people have abused this. But let's look at this. This was for the preaching of the gospel. The tongues were given for the preaching of the gospel. The men start speaking in tongues, and what happens? And by the context here, I think there were even some women going around speaking in tongues, witnessing to people out in the crowd, because the scripture he quoted said that my sons and my daughters, he says both. So um, there's a couple of hints to this that in the book of Acts, the women were going out and witnessing too. I, some people feel uncomfortable with a woman witnessing, but um, there were some women that did it in the book of Acts as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost was not just given to the men. It was for the purpose of promoting the gospel. And there are ways that a woman can get out and be able to share the gospel and be able to witness and be completely in line with the scripture. So they're getting out, they're witnessing, they're giving the gospel it was given for, the tongues were given for the preaching of the gospel to fulfill prophecy, and he quotes from the prophecy here in, um, from the book of Joel. He mentions that in verse 16, and it was a sign to the Jews. The Jews seek a what? A sign. So here's a sign to the Jews. Well, what was part of the sign? Well, the prophet Joel had said this was going to happen. You're seeing it fulfilled before your eyes. 
So I want to pause here for just a moment and consider a couple of things. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit pierced through the confusion of Babel to make the preaching of the gospel clear. Because of the Tower of Babel, we have a division of languages. Mercy and um, Kristen are in, in Nigeria right now. They're witnessing, they're sharing the gospel. There are some cultural barriers that they have to deal with. There are some language barriers. Now, thankfully, they speak English, so it's, I say thankfully because that means it's real easy for us to be able to go there and share the gospel. But they cannot talk to them in their heart language. They can't talk to them in their original language. Why? They haven't gotten to learn it yet. Well, on the day of Pentecost, that was no problem. If a Nigerian walked by and Mercy or Kristen looked at him and started witnessing, that Nigerian is going to hear the gospel in their language. Mercy and Kristen is not coming out that way, but they're hearing it in Nigerian, which is interesting as you study the context here. It's about how the people were hearing it. Really a powerful thought there. When, if, if you're familiar at all with the tongues movement, um, that's about an unknown language that nobody really understands. Well, on this day, it was understood. God, the Holy Spirit, was piercing through the confusion of Babel, bringing clarity to the gospel. So here's three thoughts on modern tongues. I encourage you to think about these next time you're faced with the question of tongues. Number one, if they have to teach you how, it's not these tongues from the book of Acts. If you're familiar with charismatic churches, many of them offer classes on how to speak in tongues. When um, Stephen and I were on a mission trip to Mexico years ago, um, and um, there was a missionary there that was teaching people how to speak in tongues. That was part of her mission in Mexico was to help the churches there become more in tune with God and more powerful by speaking in tongues. And she instructed me. I was washing dishes one day, and she came and taught me while I washed dishes. I thought if I washed dishes, she would leave me alone and go bug Stephen or somebody else. Anyway, I guess she thought she had a captive audience since I was washing dishes. So she stands there and starts asking me questions. Well, when she found out I was a preacher at a Baptist church, boy, she attacked. I mean, her sights were on me, and dishes didn't help. And so she begins to teach me how to speak in tongues. And, and she said, you start, it starts right here, right here. And I am not mocking. I am telling you exactly what the woman said. She said, it starts right here, right here. And, and it starts coming up. It comes up right here. And then you open your mouth and you just let it out. And that's how she showed me you speak in tongues. Well, my friend that was helping me lead the mission trip, she said, it sounds like indigestion to me. I mean, it starts here and comes out. Well, we were working at a church in Louisiana one time. Actually, we were renting the facilities of this church doing a homeschool convention. And um, my dad saw this sign go up on Saturday morning, I think it was. And it was, you know, one of those portable signs they had up at the bottom of a staircase upstairs to the tongues class. Well, you know, my dad couldn't help himself. And so he made his way up to the tongues class, and they were literally lecturing them on how to speak this gibberish language. Well, these people didn't have a class. They're in the upper room. There's cloven tongues of fire, the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and they just started doing it. Nobody explained to them. Nobody gave them a class on how to speak in tongues. 
Secondly, if it's not for the preaching of the gospel, it's not these tongues. I mean, Paul gave the instruction to the Corinthians that there needed to be an interpreter if somebody wanted to speak in tongues, which is interesting because you've studied pagan worship in the city of Corinth. I don't suggest studying pagan worship. But in studying archaeology a couple years ago, um, I was watching a documentary series by non-Christians, and they began to discuss the religious practices in Corinth. Guess what they had? They had these false priestesses at the temp- this particular temple that would speak in tongues. They would go down in this chamber, and they would get messages from the gods, and they would come up, and they would tell the priest. And the priest would go and give prophecies to people seeking and paying to get a prophecy. You know, they're going on a trip. They want to find out, is my trip going to be successful or not? You go up to the temple. And it was funny because they showed one or two of the prophecies. They were so general that they could have been fulfilled just about in any way in anybody's life, which is the way a lot of charismatic prophecies are. If you really pay attention when somebody comes and shows you a prophecy that's been prophesied over them by some minister, it's almost always very generic, nothing specific. But all those people get so excited when they see that the prophecy has been fulfilled in their lives. You know, it didn't say, go here and this is going to happen. You know, there's no names no places. And when there's dates, they're usually wrong. You know, that lady in Mexico, she had prophesied that um, after 9-11 that the country of China was going to invade the United States and take over the government. And then the American youth are going to rise up and repent and turn to God, and they're going to drive the nation of China out. I mean, she had this weird, long story about China and America. 9-11, guess what happened? Nothing. 9-11, there was going to be this great revival in the country. She even told us about a dead person she raised to life. Only thing is, when you find all the details, the person wasn't dead yet. So, you know, you can't... Anyway, um, a lot of confusion there, a lot of false, falsity, a lot of hypocrisy, and none of that was about the preaching of the gospel. None of that. The 9-11 prophecy, the China prophecy, raising a person from the dead that wasn't dead yet, none of that was about the preaching of the gospel. And if that's not what tongues are about, it's not the biblical tongues. Number three, if it's not understood, especially by a lost person, especially a Jew, the signs are for the Jews. It's not these tongues. Now, I'm not saying that somebody might not have some special gift for tongues. I know a young woman that has a special gift for languages. She gets to a country And within just a few weeks, she can translate the Bible into their language. That is miraculous, if you ask me. That is not natural. That is not normal. And she's just a normal, you see her somewhere um, growing up, normal homeschool girl. You know, homemade dresses. I mean, just normal person. Okay, maybe homemade dresses aren't that normal today. But you know what I mean. Just a normal person. Not a person you're going to see climbing around in the jungles and in five weeks, I think it was, learning a trade language of a country. And then in a few more weeks, learning the language and then gathering a group of pastors and stuff to explain to them how to translate the Bible. And then she uses the Greek and Hebrew and stuff and they start translating the Bible. That's not, that's not normal. I had a friend who was in Bible clubs in Baton Rouge at Smite Camp a few years ago, and she came up to me after clubs that day, and I could tell she looked quite disturbed about something. She said, Aaron, 
she was whispering. She said, I had the weirdest thing happen at clubs today. She said, I, I found this older lady, and she was from Mexico, and she didn't speak English. So I got her, to, I convinced her to come over to Bible clubs, but none of us know English. Now, my friend had taken a little bit of high school, uh, sorry, Spanish, um, had, had taken a little bit of high school Spanish, but not very much at all. And she said, I sat down in the Bible club, and she said they got up to do the Bible lesson, and she said all I could think of was to point to passages of Scripture that had the gospel that went along with what the lesson was. And she, this girl, my friend, had an English-Spanish Bible. She said, so I started flipping through the Bible, and I'd point at verses and have her read them. I've witnessed to Spanish-only speakers before doing that very thing. It was the only thing I knew to do. I went through the plan of salvation just pointing and grinning. Because they didn't understand me, I, you know, I didn't understand them. So I just went through and found the passages. Anyway, she said, but then I started explaining the gospel to her. But I don't know what I said. But the woman got saved. Anyway, by the end, she was able to find somebody and communicate with the woman. She said, did I speak in tongues today? She said, I didn't tell anybody else around here because they'd all think I was weird. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't think you're weird, but I think you may have spoken in tongues today. She said, Aaron, I said stuff I didn't know what was. And the woman got saved. Now, take what you want, think what you want. I don't know, but biblical tongues, they spoke to someone, the person understood the gospel, and, and there were salvations. Like 3,000 souls got saved on the day this happened when Peter preached. Um, I don't know. All I know is my friend was quite in shock that day because she had shared the gospel with a Hispanic in the Spanish language when she didn't know the words. That's only the power of God, and that's what tongues look like. Tongues aren't the thing that you show up, you know. My family was at a church, and they started speaking in tongues, and they all said, duh, over and over and over. Duh, da 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 And that was, they were all speaking in tongues. Boy, they were having a Holy Ghost meeting. They were so excited about saying duh. And then the pastor, they were, we were ending abortion. They were going to end abortion in that prayer meeting with tongues. Anyway, the pastor went around. He's laying hands on people during the tongues as it's going on. Our families knelt over on one of the pews over here. And none of us are closing our eyes because it's getting too weird. The pastor's just laying his hands on people and, ah, you know, saying stuff out, hollering and carrying on with his hands on people. Then all of a sudden we noticed that his hand laying was only on women. And my mom looked at my dad and whispered. She said, if he gets over here and he lays his hands on me, you better lay him out. My dad said, oh, I've got my eyes on him. I'm ready for it. My dad was just waiting to come up off that ground and sucker punch that preacher. Why? He wasn't laying hands on the men. He was laying hands on all the women. Something weird was going on. After that, the music got wild. and We eventually left, and all the walls and windows were shaking. And we went to Taco Bell, and they were playing the same song at Taco Bell that they were at the church, only it had different words. Anyway, really weird day that day. No gospel witness going on. Nobody getting saved. But there's lots of tongues going on. It was not the same tongues that were going on in the book of Acts. Number eight, Ananias and Sapphira tempted the Holy Spirit by living, uh, sorry, by lying to the church. And ultimately, we see, if you read the passage, that they, by lying to the church, they were lying to the Holy Spirit. 
about the amount of money they sold their land for, and of course they were killed. Number nine, being filled with the Holy Spirit was a requirement for the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, we find that Stephen was a man known to be full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Number 11, um, Stephen told the high priest and all that were present at his trial that they were always resisting the Holy Ghost, just as their fathers had done. So there you see that the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Old Testament prophets would preach, and the people would reject their preaching, would reject their teaching, the Holy Spirit was working. The Holy Spirit was trying to draw them to the Father, and they were rejecting him. And Stephen told the whole bunch of them, including the high priest, you are rejecting the Holy Spirit now, and that's exactly what your fathers have been doing as well. We see in chapter 7 that filled with the Holy Ghost, Stephen looked into heaven as he was being stoned and saw Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Now, as we go through these in Acts chapter, in all of the chapters of Acts, we find that there is a clear, distinct difference between what happened on the day of Pentecost and when different groups of people got saved and the Holy Ghost came on them and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Stephen wasn't getting the Holy Ghost over and over again. He was having special times that the Holy Spirit was working, especially powerful through him. Well, he's yielding up his life. He's giving his life to God. He's being killed. And the Holy Spirit has complete control. And I think we'll see at a later time that the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's about how yielded you are to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, his control over your life. In Acts chapter 8, the Christians of Samaria received the Holy Ghost after Peter and John laid hands on them and prayed for them. When this happened, Simon the sorcerer decided that he wanted that power as well. And um, the disciples rebuked him because he was trying to use it to make money. Wait, have we heard of anybody trying to make money off of giving people the Holy Ghost? You know, we had a guy in um, South Louisiana that showed up one time at this big charismatic church, and he threw Tic Tacs at people. And they get hit on the head by a tic-tac, and they'd get fall down the aisles, they'd have the Holy Ghost. Another night, he was up there playing his drums during the service and got so moved with the Holy Ghost, he'd take the sweat, and he'd flick it on people, and they would fall out with the Holy Ghost. They were getting the Holy Ghost. You know, guys making big money. You can make big money if you put on a big show like that, go on TV, offer prayer blankets and all kinds of things. You know, people are, oil is going to give people the Holy Ghost. They're making money off of it. This is no different than Simon the Sorcerer, and read the rebuke, Acts 8, 18 to 25. Read what they told him. They basically told him, you're damned. You're on your way to hell, buddy. You don't have Christianity. You don't understand the Holy Ghost. He was committing a great sin against God by doing this. The Holy Spirit told Philip to approach the Ethiopian's chariot to witness to him. Number 15, the Holy Spirit caught Philip away, and he took him up and physically moved him and took him to... Azotus to preach the gospel, Acts chapter 8, verse 39. Notice where he, why did he pick him up and move him somewhere? He was taking him somewhere else to preach the gospel. That's what it was about. Um, number 16, when Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost after salvation, he immediately went and started preaching that Christ was the Son of God in the synagogues. Again, I mean, Saul, uh, Paul gets saved on the road to Damascus. He goes in, he finds this man that he was supposed to, the man finds him, 
and prays for him and he, the, he receives the Holy Ghost. Why do you wonder, is there such a big show of them receiving the Holy Ghost? Nobody's received the Holy Ghost before. Well, the Holy Spirit came on a person and used them, empowered them for something specific, and then went left them. And we go to somebody else. Here, the Holy Spirit's coming to permanently indwell, and there's a very clear sign for the Jews of what is happening. Remember the context. Remember what's happening here. The early church is being established, and this is a clear sign to the Jews that what they have is real. Number 17, during the time that persecution paused in Israel and Samaria, the church walked in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and during this time, the church grew. Number 18, the Holy Spirit told Peter to go with the men of Cornelius. This was after he had had the events where he saw all that food, unclean food, come down in a blanket. You know, he saw sausage and ham and all that good stuff. And he was all upset because God told him to eat it. And he said, no, I won't eat it. Anyway, he had just finished all that and he's sitting there thinking about it. And the Holy Ghost speaks to him and tells him, there's these men coming for you. Go with them. Well, <clears throat> at the same time, actually, even before that, the Holy Spirit had sent men, the men of Cornelius, to find Peter. He told, the Holy Spirit told Cornelius, you send these men to go find this man. And they obey the Holy Spirit. What's the whole thing for? So that Peter can show up and preach the gospel to them, and a whole bunch of them get saved. And that's what happens. Number 20, Peter preached that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost for his ministry in Acts chapter 10 and verse 28. Another reference to Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number 21, Acts 10, uh, 44, the Holy Ghost fell on the believing Gentiles of Cornelius' house. Um, in chapter 11, the events of number 21 caused Peter to remember, remember John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance um, the things that Jesus had said. The Holy Spirit caused Peter to remember that Jesus had said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 11, verse 24, Barnabas was a man to be said to be full of the Holy Ghost and faith. Acts 11.28, the Spirit foretold through Agabus that a worldwide drought was coming. What happened? Christians went into action. There was a purpose. This guy wasn't getting credit for, oh, some big deal. Oh, woohoo! he's a great prophet now. We're all going to worship him and send him lots of money and give, buy him a nice car. And, you know, all these amazing things. This guy is going to make big money now because he made a big prophecy that came true. No, what happened? All of a sudden, the church started gathering up money and sending to people who were in need generosity was produced because of this man's being able to foretell what was going to happen in the future. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. It was not Agabus. It was the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Paul to a specific gospel ministry. It was the calling of the Holy Spirit. Some preachers get upset because there aren't young, more young men being called to preach these days. Jesus said, pray the Holy Spirit that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. It may be that young men are rejecting the call of the Holy Spirit, but it may be that the Holy Spirit is not calling as many right now. But the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Paul to a specific gospel ministry. Number 26, during a time of prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit confirmed to the church at Antioch that they should ordain Barnabas and Paul and send them out. This happened before my ordination. I was not seeking ordination. I 
I wanted to either be an evangelist or a missionary. Honestly, I was thinking I was going to move to the Philippines, be a missionary there. And um, all of a sudden, one day, a men's meeting happened at my dad's church. There's the pastor and then all of the men. And all of the men have to agree on any new thing that happens. And they were in men's meeting one day, and one of the dads spoke up and said, I believe we need to ordain Aaron and make him the assistant pastor here. I probably would have thrown up had I been in the meeting. I was glad I didn't hear it myself. Well, then um, another man spoke up. They started discussing it. Then another man spoke up and said, I know that God has called him into the ministry, and this is why. And he told a story about a time, a specific sermon I preached, and how God spoke to their family through that preaching. That wasn't me. He was recognizing this is God. This is what God has for him. This is what we need to do. Anyway, my dad comes out and starts telling me about their plans to ordain me and make me the assistant pastor. That was not in my plans. Talk about sick at your stomach now. I go home. I'm like, no, God, I'm going to be a missionary. Remember, I'm going to the Philippines. I am not going to be a pastor. Plus, I kill all these people every time I get mad at them. All right, all right. You know, and I'm, okay, God, never mind. I realize your Holy Spirit is showing this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, how did he do it? There was a unification of all the men of the church saying the Holy Ghost has called him and he is supposed to be in this specific ministry at this specific time. How could I argue with that? And anyway, there was no big major prayer and fasting for me to seek God about this. As I started to pray about it, it was like the Holy Spirit said, take it or leave it. This is my option. Anyway, I took God's option. That was the only one on the table. He didn't offer me anything else. We see that the sending of the church and the Spirit, the sending of the Spirit, were synonymous in this event. Verse uh, number 28, Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost to confront Elymas, the sorcerer, and lead Var Jesus to Christ. Again, what's the point? It's for people to get saved. Number 29, when Paul and Barnabas were kicked out of Antioch, they were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. Um, in Acts 15, the Holy Ghost led the elders in Jerusalem concerning circumcision and the keeping of the law for the Gentile believers. Um, Acts 16, the Holy Spirit would not allow Paul and his men to preach in Asia or Bithynia. They were trying to go places to preach the gospel. It was like me trying to get to the, to, to the Philippines. And God's blocking the way going, no, this isn't what you're supposed to do. No, this isn't where you're supposed to go. Oh, well, here's an idea, God, I could do. And God says, no, the Holy Spirit sometimes blocks the way for the preaching of the gospel. Number 32, in Ephesus, they were instructed in the baptism of John only. God sent them somewhere else. They end up in Ephesus eventually, and um, they had only been taught about the baptism of John. So Paul explained the Holy Spirit to a small group of about 12 of them, and he baptized them in the name of Jesus, after which he laid hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues, and they began to prophesy. In chapter 20, the Holy Ghost prepared Paul for his arrest. 34, Paul taught that it was the Holy Ghost that had placed the church elders of Ephesus in leadership. Number 35, Acts ends with the prisoner Paul confirming the Holy Spirit's authorship of the prophets. And I think it's very significant in the first and last chapters <clears throat> that we see the authorship of the, New Test uh, of the Old Testament, rather, being recognized to be the Holy Spirit. So we see that many miracles were done, but the emphasis in Acts was on the preaching of the gospel. So let's look for just a second as we're closing. The geographical scope of Jesus' ministry. 
Jesus preached as far north as Tyre, as far as we know it, as far south as Bethlehem. Although he had followers down in Idumea, apparently Jesus' scope of ministry, geographical property that he covered were from Tyre to Bethlehem. That is not a very large, only a couple hundred miles. It's not that large of a scope of area where Jesus ministered. He said, you'll do the same works and greater. Well, let's look just at the geographical scope of Paul's ministry. All these lines here are the trips that Paul took. Paul's first journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, and then his voyage to Rome, which he was still witnessing to people, sharing the gospel with him. Now, let's compare here. Here is in this box is the area of land. Within that, it doesn't go to the borders of that. Within that little red box is the territory that Jesus covered. Look at the territory in comparison that Paul covered. Now consider where the gospel has gone today, all over the world. Yes, there's some remote tribes that have never heard the gospel. Yes, there's some countries where the gospel was once preached that it is not even legal to preach in some of these places. So we have to go buy it differently. But when you compare where the gospel has gone with where Jesus ministered, do you think maybe we have accomplished greater works? It's been far more reaching. Why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. His work in us produces great things. So in our next couple lessons, we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit, his responsibility, his work of powerful prayer, passionate obedience, personal instruction. He is our teacher, our instructor, and perfect peace. Four of the major works of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see in the other teachings of Jesus primarily, but also in the epistles, how the Holy Spirit worked this out in the early church and how he wants to work them in our lives as believers. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending the Holy Spirit to us. Lord, we thank you that he has come to permanently indwell, and Lord, we have seen his story as he has been about for one purpose, and that is to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to shine his spotlight on Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would be about his work, that Lord, you would fill every one of us to share the gospel. And Lord, we would recognize that whenever we feel a prompting to witness to someone or to give a tract to someone, it is your Holy Spirit that is speaking to us, prompting us to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. And Lord, as we have recognized your purpose in the, God, in the book of Acts and seen what a mighty work the Holy Spirit did, Lord, I pray that you would do this kind of work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we don't pray for tongues. We don't pray for miracles. We don't pray for you to do some big show for us, Lord, but that we would see souls saved. and We would see your cross uplifted. And Lord, um, we would see people drawn to you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless in the remainder of our service today as we remember your death and we remember, um, Lord, your sacrifice for us in this time of Lord's Supper. Lord, that you'd speak to us through your word as Pastor shares. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.